Welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Just another opportunity that I'm excited and privileged to have to give the people what they want because they want it and we got it. So we're going to give it to them. That is, that is right. And we're fired up. John has just been at the uh, USTF CCCCCCCA. Uh, I think you forgot convention. to see there, Steve. There's like four more. There's like four more. <laughs> yeah. My favorite acronym. Um, I just, I just love it. At the convention, fired up, talking to coaches. You know, yeah, that's talking what, to scholars is pretty dope, man. It was good to connect with the people. I love that's, it. That's what it's about. And, you know, I love those moments because, like, you get to, again, the, the secret sauce is, you know, avoiding the riffraff, but but getting to talk to coaches and, and you know, going deep on, on things that are interesting, training, the sport, like, the direction to the sport that those are the conversations that we used to have at those conventions. Um, but you know, the sucky thing about, about it is it occurs. Yeah. Once, it's once a year. Once, John. It's once a year. It's like three days, four days, once a year. And that's yeah. it. It's like, I mean, and it renews the soul, which is cool because you, you figure out and you realize, Hey man, I'm not the only person out here in crazy town doing what I'm doing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm not, not the only one doing tons of work for often relatively low pay. Uh, in a sport that people forget about. Um, there's others of us out there who love it and are passionate about it, and God bless them. That's what it's all about. And it, it just, it just, you know, fires you up. Well, we try to recreate that in the Scholar Program. And you know what? I think we did. I know, John, I know. You were at the convention, so we had to do, do our monthly Zoom without you. But I'm yep. telling you, man, it was fire. <laughs> Love to hear it. God, so, we were, so we were just, yeah, we were just nerding out on everything from um, from biomechanics to uh, training design to you know threshold stuff. We were just kind of nerding out, and we also you know went deep on on how marathoning is changing with courses and shoes and all of that stuff, and how we need to adapt. Um, and how the incentives are changing and, and whether that will impact, you know, U.S. marathoning, which we kind of started going down a path of uh, why are the men not have as many, you know, people have hit the standard as women. So if you love those kinds of conversations, guess what? We got a place where you're going to have them at least once a month more if you use the, uh, the chat that we have, the discussion group. And we got the courses to go along with it. So if that sounds like something that you want to get fired up about, rejuvenate, have that monthly hit of like, these are my people, let's talk about it. We we got you covered. Scholar programs yep. where it's at. Join the scholar program. It's right now as we speak, pennies on the dollar, 36 bucks a month, probably, you know, less than a cup of coffee, which again, giving you a little boost, a little hit, a little energy for your craft day in and day out. You know, it's definitely worth it. I mean, join 700 other coaches. Like, see what see what's all about. 700 people can't be wrong. I don't know. I mean, that's just me. <laughs> so, you, you know, know, there's a reason. There's a reason they keep it going. They they can't. We've got some great high school coaches, college coaches, professional coaches. We've got um, we've got everybody. So, all right. With that being said, let's get into our discussion. Modern coaching, 
ways to promote transformation in a transactional environment. John, I'm going to turn this over to you because I think to start, what in the world do we mean by a transactional environment? Yeah, that was, you know, kind of what I gleaned from a lot of conversations with coaches uh, throughout this last week at the um, UST FCCCA convention is, you know, uh, an increasing frustration or sometimes fear of the transactional reality that we are now living in in the college ranks, especially with how coaches and prospects or recruits are navigating this kind of NIL um, reality that we live in, right? And the, unfortunately, what's happening, and we're seeing this more and more and more, is it's a much more superficial and transactional conversation in the recruiting process. Rather than, I think, what a lot of coaches signed up for is to transform uh, young men and women through the vehicle of sport, it now becomes a what can you offer me, what can you give me conversation um, as the guiding spirit of recruiting. And this is radically different than what we had 10 years ago, even five years ago. And stepping back into it, I noticed this myself just in recruiting calls and conversations with prospects and what have you. And it becomes just much more of a uh, canyon between the two rather than trying to find a bridge. And so it's interesting because a lot of people in the industry are still trying to do really good work and cultivate that transformative experience because at the end of the day, we always have to remember what we do as collegiate coaches and even what we do as coaches in general at the high school level, post-collegiate level, is we alter the trajectory of people's lives through sport for better or, or worse, right? Ideally for better. You know, I've never met a coach that was out there saying, I don't want to screw someone up. But I think, you know, in this day and age, right, what we do is we have been conditioned through the kind of uh, woke reactions, if you will, that people call them, or I don't really like to call them woke reactions. I call them reactions where people are assuming um, ill intent versus assuming positive intent. And we we're losing a little bit more of that. And so people are more on guard more and more and more. And that unguardness then creates a different calculus in the recruiting of the student athlete or even interaction with the student athlete of what can you do for me? What can you offer me? What can you give me? And it's about me, 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 instead of like, hey, coach, how can we work in partnership to leverage the resources available that are finite? Because all resources, by definition, are finite um, at your institution or under your, your, your coaching banner or vehicle or outfit to help allow me the opportunity to explore, develop, and grow, and become a different and hopefully a better person. And that disconnect is being felt, by and large, by a lot of coaches in this day and age. And it's a tough, tough reality to reconcile, I think, because, you know, we didn't sign up for this to be a McDonald's transaction where we're the cashier and it's like, hey, what do you want? I want a Big Mac. Okay. Here's $5. Great. Boom, boom, boom. That's the exchange. Nothing happens, right? It's just very soulless, that activity. We, we, you know, forfeit a lot of times in coaching more lucrative dollars in other industries because of the nourishment that the transformation aspect of coaching gives to the soul. And in a environment where it's pro being propagated to be more and more and more transactional, and you're starting to lose that currency available to us, now we're starting to see higher rates of burnout, higher rates of being feeling overwhelmed. 
you know, talking to college coaches are like, I'm already behind on my recruiting class for 2026. This is it's December, 2024. It's like, whoa, this is a reality. People feel like I'm behind on recruiting sophomores <laughs> in college track and field and cross country. And it's just a wild time uh, to be in because of also the rapid deregulation in the NCAA and this kind of wild, wild west mentality that we are now seeing um, that the higher levels of power for, I guess, now football and basketball. And it is definitely having a trickle down effect, even to our little, little non-revenue generating Olympic sport. You know, I, I, I think that's a, a good place to start. And I think it highlights what we're getting at pretty quick, uh, you know, uh, clearly. Let's let's look look at this. I, I think first from a football standpoint, if you look at football, it's becoming college football is becoming almost purely transactional. I you, would say it is. It we're, yeah. we are there. It's not we're, not 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 as becoming. It literally it yeah. is. And it, it is that's it. And you can look at the the transfer portal as as a way to look at it. You know, I know we've talked about this before, but a good college quarterback at let's say a you know non-major school if he's had a lot of success he goes into the transfer portal and then gets offers from you know dozens of teams for a million plus yeah let's be clear it's a dozen of nil collectives for a million plus like here's what's happening right you see in a news report someone hits the transfer portal 40 hours later they transfer somewhere else what the hell happened in 48 hours you i mean you can't get an official visit cleared. You can't get, you know, transcripts in like the process of getting a, a prospect to visit your school in 48 hours is da- is near impossible. Just all the paperwork that lines up, but yet they then transfer. What's happening, right? Is these NIL collectives, there's a representative who is calling the kid or their, you know, representation, whatever that may be and saying, Hey, here's the offer from this collective it's a million dollars, it's half a million dollars, it's whatever. You have 24, 40 hours to decide. Sight unseen on talking to the coach, sight unseen on the campus, sight unseen on any of the facilities, sight unseen on everything. And yes or no, or we'll just go down the list. And that's it. And that's, it's, it's totally like what, you know, when I, and I've heard this multiple times from several different college coaches in college football and college basketball now, where that is what's happening. And it's just like mind blowing to me because <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? But so when you see that in the news, read it for what it really is, read between the lines. But that is now having a trickle down effect, unfortunately, to our sport. A- absolutely. And I think it's good to illustrate what's happening in college football and basketball because it gives you an idea because it literally is, you know, you have a good season, you want to get paid more, like go test the waters. And to be clear, like John and I aren't against people being paid their worth and value, etc. But we're we're in a system where there's now very little to no regulation on anything. So it's the wild, wild west, um, as John alluded to. Well, what, what in the world does that have to do with our sport? So it's not, no one's yet getting paid a million dollars to go somewhere for as the uh the top track athlete but what it does is it also trickles down to our sport in terms of there are nil deals there are abilities to transfer elsewhere to you know if you you know get some sort of benefit or what have you we're seeing some to we're seeing some schools actually say hey you know 
forget those measly 12.6 scholarships we have. We're going to use NIL money to uh, get more and more recruits. And that's, that's, again, people getting paid. That's great. More scholarship type deals. But the, the regulations are, are different. And I think this is where we get more transactional. Because if, you know, John, if I, I come to Portland State and I sign a scholarship deal, great. I'm locked in for that scholarship deal for a year. And then afterwards it gets renewed. But if you're like most schools, there has to be a legitimate reason to either non-renew or reduce. You can't just say, ah, this person isn't performing, like, bye-bye, Right. There has to be some sort of behavioral, you know, drug tests, something in there, cheating, whatever, something in there that allows you to kind of take some of that that money back uh, generally. Because not necessarily. I mean, even even the even administrations now are shifting their posture towards that. Right. And so I think that's the thing. It's 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 systemic from a lot of different angles, because, yeah, now it is becoming a. Hey, you, some places you can not renew on performance. It's coach's discretion, whatever that may be. Right? Yeah, that's that's wild. It is. We we always had an appeal process. I mean, they didn't tell the students this, but students could appeal, right? So it's like you get non-renewed. You can a student could appeal your scholarship, and if you didn't have like a legitimate reason besides like, hey, they're just not performing well, <laughs> um, you would lose that appeal. Because it would go to kind of a appeal board that was more academic based versus athletic based. Um, but then that's, and you know, I think that's the thing, unfortunately, right? Is so that pressure of it being more of a transaction and coming from different um, locations, not just media, but also maybe, you know, departmentally, the reality is it's very hard for young men and women, 18 to 22, 23 year olds to cope with that degree of responsibility in, in have it be such a rapid change in expectation as we've seen in the last several years. I mean, it's, it's almost a, an impossible ask. And so what happens, and I think this is the hard thing that we as coaches who are trying to do good work in the field need to be sensitive to is understanding like that puts up the rope um, barriers that puts up, you know, fight or flight fear receptors, right? So now you're afraid as a young person that you might not, if you don't perform, uh, get your scholarship renewed. And which is a very real and honest fear in this day and age, right? But that's where transparency, I think, has to come in with like the coaches and the athletes, student athletes talking about, okay, hey, this is, if you do X, Y, Z, then you're good. If you don't do X, Y, Z, you do have to worry. And it is becomes way more for business up front than ever before. And I don't think young people have this, the skill set or tools to cope with that because it's just not um, something that the high school coach is preparing them for, right? Ideally, high school is supposed to prepare you for college <laughs> to some degree. Well, all of a sudden in high school, you're doing it for the love of the sport. You have some success, you get recruited. And then no one in the high school realm is preparing you for now this you know, increasingly transactional environment you may step into as a collegiate athlete and then it's like whoa, whoa 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 how do i cope and then you know what i what most people do when they don't know how to cope with something they you know go into fight or flight sy- uh, syndrome and then it just becomes increasingly like i can't trust you i can't let you in and it just creates a wall and a barrier 
And so as coaches, we have to under, figure out mechanisms and pathways to de-escalate that response. Absolutely. And I think that's where it gets at the transactional is when you look at scholarships, even that that is, you know, more transactional, but NIL takes it to another level. Whereas it essentially, there are no guarantees, there are no, you know, four-year scholarship contracts, whatever have you. Um, it's much more looser. And then what I'd also say in um, in taking this away from college into the high school is you're also seeing high school coaching being more transactional in the sense that parents expect, hey, my kid is is doing this sport so that they can get that scholarship, so that they can get that NIL money, so that I don't have to, you know, fork over money to get them into school or take care of, you know, them once they're over 18, whatever the incentive is. Sport is seen increasingly seen as this this transactional vehicle. And more so, if you can't get it done, I'm gonna go elsewhere. You know, whether Nowadays, that means move schools or what have you, if I have that opportunity, or also elsewhere means like I'm going to go hire some private coach and this athlete's just going to show up to some practices and still run on the team, which often occurs. Um, so we've got this, this expectation that is like greater. And what that does is it creates this incentive around performance and like the outcome when we're, when we talk about transformation is the outcome is often secondary. Yes, it matters. Yes, we care about them running faster, et cetera. But you get there not by focusing obsessively on the outcome, but by developing the individual and that, that kid holistically to be able to perform their best, right? And that, that path, that path is often slightly different because if we were if we we're obsessed about the outcome and improving now, if I said, John, I'm going to give you a high school kid, you've got four years to get them to be the best that they're ever going to be so that they can make it to college, your approach would be different than, John, if I said, hey, you've got four years, I want you to develop this kid holistically. So maybe that, yes, he performs well or she performs well, but like they have a love for this sport or want to continue carrying it on or want to take those lessons somewhere else to change or, or develop themselves. Yeah. You know, it comes back down to having to, I always call it two feet in reality versus two meet in fantastical expectations, which is fueled by the posing and posturing on social media. And what I mean by that is now more than ever in every sport, it's really stat driven. You know, I saw like an interview with um, the UConn women's head basketball coach, uh, you know, Gino, and who's wildly successful. And he said, well, nowadays in his world, he through AAU and high school and whatever, athletes are, basketball players are, you know, high school basketball players are playing games five to six times a week, practicing once a week. Versus European athletes, right, it's the inverse. They're playing once a week, practicing five to six days a week. What's that doing? Well, they're learning the fundamentals. They're learning the literacy, the physical literacy of the game. Yet we here in, you know, uh, America are very much posing and posturing obsessed, right? That's why all the poses on social media, you know, hey, let me like be and uh, take pictures in the uniform or the gear, right? UNC football, they have 90 minute photo shoots for prospects on, you know, in the photo shoot room, right? Trying on all the different outfits, and what you're doing is you're putting the cart before the horse, right? 
And that's where it's like, at the end of the day, sure, you have these stats. Oh, all these kids now are running under nine minutes, you know, on the men's side or 10 minutes on the women's side for this and that, blah, blah, blah. But are they more competitive? And competitive is defined by who do you beat, right? So it's not about, did you throw up these crazy stats? Because we're seeing people say, I got my stats, I got my stats, I got my stats. But you lost the game or you were sixth, ninth in the race. And I was talking with a, another highly respected um, colleague of mine that a lot of people know, I won't say their name, but they were saying to me like, yeah, this generation doesn't know how to compete. They know how to run fast, but they don't know how to compete. And that's ultimately the job is we are all in this Olympic sport. You're measured by your highest competitive opportunity um, available to you, whether it be a district meet, conference meet, state meet, regional meet, national meet. USA meet, Olympic meet, what have you, right? And we have to figure out how to, you know, compete at those level. And the thing is, is competing for beating people for a true com- competitiveness creates pressure. And pressure is good. Pressure is revealing. Pressure allows us to understand who you are and what skill sets you have and don't have. And failure in that environment is not a bad thing. But now it immediately is viewed that because the calculus is going to be, does this create a good image or posing or posturing on social media? Can I post this and get all these likes and kudos from, you know, the, these variety of inputs that we don't even know bots, what have you. And that creates this like short-term dopamine hit. Right. And so it becomes really a conversation of, are we in the dopamine business or are we in the serotonin business? Right. And as a coach, we have to be sensitive to this, and try to find solutions in real time to pull people into the serotonin, which is much more sustained and much more um, real and much more soothing and calming positive reinforcement than the short-term dopamine hit that literally hardwire, um, you know, uh, um, short circuits the brain. Yeah, it, it's it's shifting the incentives. I think if we look at culturally, societally, the incentives are on the like superficial, performative, transactional. Meaning, the way I would describe it, if we're looking at social media, if your goal is to get more likes, clicks, follows on social media, you're going to post different things than if your goal is to. I don't know, uh, put out quality information or educate people on social media. Like there, there will be two different approaches. Even if we're talking about, let's use our example. If we're talking about running training, like if you want clicks and likes, like in retweets or whatever, you're going to put out something that is completely different than if you're going to accurately inform. Yeah. I mean, go look at my Twitter. Like that's all it is. It's just, I press the button to do one thing and then I press the button for another thing. It's, it literally is not rocket science. It's pretty simple. But what matters is, you know, the idea to does the message spread? And that's what people, people like sensationalism because we are hardwired for storytelling and fantastical or fantastical um, uh, dispositions. And that sensationalism creates this sense of bravado, the sense of import. And ultimately, right, at the end of the day, now that we're thankfully getting back to a lot more in-person things without restrictions, it's kind of, you. we have to, you know, talk about the elephant in the room, right? Where it's the past several years with all the COVID restrictions that we have put in place, 
you know, it accelerated all this because you didn't have that face-to-face contact. You didn't have that serotonin reinforcement with your team, your coach, your teacher, what have you. All you had was that screen and you had the sensationalism being propagated on the screen and people have fallen, you know, victim for it. It's kind of, that's a lot of news outlets, whether they're polarized or what have you, leverage a business model on this. And so we call it news, but if there's no objectivity to it, it's sensationalism. And more and more and more, we need to wean ourselves off that drug of sensationalism and wean ourselves off that drug of, you know, the um, small little device that's held in your hand and all those different outlets, because it's just not a realistic framing of reality. But yet, if you see it every day and you go and you consume it every day, you make it a habitual thing every day, then it starts to warp your sense about what is reality because it becomes your reality. Perception becomes your reality, even though it is not absolute reality. And that's the thing I think young minds, especially in this day and age, in post, immediately post-COVID, are struggling with because they're seeing the sensationalism of, oh, this person inked an NIL deal and this person did this and this person. And so you feel behind. But really, when you step back and look at it, it's like one input or two inputs here or there out of tens of thousands of people in the arena, right? You have tens of thousands of student athletes. And once a week, there's this article on one person. Do the math. That's like 50 people in a year. And so now all these people, tens of thousands of people feel behind because of what 50 outliers are have done. You know, warped world USA, right? Like to stop, recalibrate, get two feet back in reality. That's only for a small, 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 hyper small percentage of it. It's not for us. It's not for you. doesn't mean it can't be you if you don't get really good at your craft. But again, we have to just come back and understand where we really are as individually and collectively in our own world, as well as like what media is trying to project for us to consume because that consumption isn't real. Yeah, you know, the other thing that I think this brings to, and this is maybe on the professional side, is um, I always think of it as, you know, you mentioned competing and performance. Think of it like this, is what's more lucrative? Um, The athlete who makes the Olympic Games but finishes, I don't know, 15th in the 5K, 10K? Or the athlete who dedicates that same amount of time to developing their social media influencer followers. And unfortunately in the world, in the, the financial terms, the influencer probably does better. Financially. I'll stop you right there though, Steve, I'll give hard data on this. So when I was, you know, the meat director for Portland track festival for many years um, there, you know, I had insight into the social media analytics for you know, with our partners or for our own social media accounts, with Twitter and what have you. And this is the time, you know, towards the end there when the quote unquote influencer athlete was becoming a phenomenon. But you know who in the end, who got the most engagement, so to speak, or the most notoriety or the most, um, you know, just, yeah, I guess influence every single time. And it was, outsized by literally 10x right we're talking three four million views hits or engagements on twitter is when we announced galen rupp would be running and galen rupp has absolutely no social media presence whatsoever 
it wasn't even freaking close. It wasn't, it was like outsized to the next, like all these people sitting here playing on like a little, little Island. And this guy, his social media presence, when we would announce, Hey, he's entered. And it's usually always like, you know, a week or only like days before the meet started with that confirmation come through. Cause we're not paying him any entry fee or whatever. He's doing it because it fits into his training or what have you. So before everyone thinks like, Oh, I need to do all this influencing. Like, yeah, if you suck at what you do, sure. You better come up with another hustle. But if you're really, 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 really competitive and really, really good at what your craft is and you put in the work, you're going to bed at 10 o'clock, you're waking up and you're getting breakfast in, you know, you're not on your phone the last 90 minutes before you go to sleep and you become one of those people who can kick everyone's ass on a regular basis. We still live in a world where that is the driving narrative. The problem is a lot of people don't want to put in that work because that works hard. That work takes time and there's no kind of like aiming the system, right? There's no hack to it. Social but, media, easy hack. Yeah. And, and that's kind of my point though, is that this is you're, you give an Olympic medalist as an example, um, which I think holds true. Like you have a Olympic medalist or someone who's that level, but in our sport, you go one level down. And I'm talking from a financial uh, standard is the the influencer with 200,000 followers on Instagram is going to make better money than the person who makes the who, again, gets 12th in the 5K at the Olympics or whatever have you. And I and that's not just like me saying this is valuable or not. That's just kind of the reality that that we live in, Um, which, again, if we look at it from what are we incentivizing? it's it's interesting, and I think it says a lot about our sport and how we uh, we don't um, support. We'll call it the the role players, like other 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 sports do. Um, other sports, you know, it would be essentially like in uh, in uh, basketball. If all we supported was the all stars, you know, the team stars made a ton, but the guy who the six man coming off the bench, like, is you know working at McDonald's. Like that's essentially what we've got at in our sport, and because of that uh, that discrepancy, like the six man who has to work at McDonald's, like their incentive is to be like, okay, I'm going to use this, I'm going to use what I can to uh, you know to make this work, so I can keep keep doing this sport, and I don't fault them for that. Um, I think it's more of of the the point of the sport, but I think or the problem of the sport that we have to solve. But I think it gets back to this kind of transactional um, environment that that we kind of live in. Is that the incentives are all there to say, you know, how the incentives all push us to either or not always, but mostly towards the kind of like superficial or the necessity of. How do I how do I keep doing this thing? How do I get the most out of this thing in the short term? Because the short term answer, maybe in your example, the short term answer is like, how do I hack the social media to get a bunch of people to follow me? And there's there's methods and ways, as we talked about, versus spend four years putting in the work and hoping that I get to that level where I'm now the all star who actually gets paid. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, but that's the the fun and the value of this sport is track and field and cross country and running. It's hard. It really is hard. 
you know, and it's hard to posture and pose and position because at the end of the day, right, it's pretty black and white time and result in, you know, or mark and result. And so you can sugarcoat what have you all you want, right? And you see that with non, you know, I, you know, when I talk about influencers, I talk about non-performance influencers who are just sensationalists and then performance-based influencers are actually like get things done or productive, you know, in, in the sport. And you have to understand who you're consuming or who's in, who you are esteeming and who your student athletes are esteeming or your athletes in general are esteeming. Are they esteeming the non-productive, non-performance oriented person who's just superficial posing and posturing? Or are they esteeming the person who actually gets results? And this is a greater lesson in vehicle for life because life's hard. You know, life has challenges, life has setbacks. And we can first as coaches be sensitive to the reality of the current athlete and student athletes that they live in and that social media and that information influences them and their consumption of it influences them and try to understand first and like walk the streets in their shoes, try to understand what it looks like for them. I think that's the most important thing is being patient, being calm, rather than just, you know, throwing your hands up in the air and go, oh, I don't know about this generation, right? All is lost. Well, that's not, a, that's not an effective uh, response or solution because it's kind of like, say, coming into Portland State, right? You know, talk to a lot of coaches. Oh, I wouldn't take that job. I wouldn't do that for the world. Well, all right. If not you, then who? Because messes will occur. Sticky situations will arise. Someone needs to clean up and create solutions in a tough situation, right? Just how we're seeing like throughout the United States, the unsheltered population is escalating because housing inequality and cost of rent, cost of housing is has skyrocketed, right? It's understanding like that's why you're seeing a lot of the unsheltered population and what they're doing to calm or mute their anxiety with that pressure of where do I get my next mirror, that pressure of can I get, you know, a permanent roof over my head again? Is there trained, unfortunately, right? Like a lot of people do to short-term coping mechanisms, drugs and alcohol. And so you're seeing that escalation of that pattern happening in every big city in America and even Canada, right? It, it's not like it's happening everywhere because this is a systemic thing. But what's easy to do is say, oh, this is a problem. It's an eyesore. It's this and that. And so I just get rid of them. And it's like, well, that's not an effective solution to the problem. And we need to, as coaches, step back and think critically and come up with a, you know, a beautiful uh, answer to these, these tough questions, because if not us, then who? And we struggle, right? And you, I see this a lot with colleagues in coaching right now, as well as even, you know, friends in other industries, it's grass is greener syndrome, right? And it's like, oh, I've been in this role for a little while or I've been doing this and it's changing. And it's like, well, the reality is it's not the grass is greener somewhere else. The grass is just different. It's the same grass. It's just different. It's just, there's just as many challenges wherever you go. And this is why it's so important to have a scholarship mindset, to have a deliberation mindset, to have a growth mindset in this day and age, because it's on us to create answers to these problems. And if we don't come up with the solutions, if you don't come up with a solution, then who? That's always what I, then who? Show me who's going to do it. And if no one does it, it, there's no solution and the problem just continues to spiral and propagate.
Yeah, you know, I, I and I think that's part of this idea of being transformational is transactional is looking at solely how do you benefit and like the short term benefit. So it's over indexing on how do I get the most money now? How do I get the best NIL deal now? You know, how do I make, you know, make things work right now? And maybe that's being an influencer or whatever without the performance behind it. Um, and transformational is looking at zooming out and looking at the perspective, which is like, how do I make an impact that lasts? How do I, you know, set myself up for, you know, not just the next few years, but the rest of my life. So it's building it, maybe being that college athlete of saying, I'm not going to X, Y, and Z just to maximize the NIL deal. So I get a couple thousand dollars in a sport that doesn't really hit. I'm going to go the place that, you know, uh, sets me up best for my actual career um, in the long haul or whatever have you. And I think, I, I, I think as coaches, like that's it's it's tough to balance out that or to get athletes to understand that at the high school, college, and even professional level. Um, because again, the incentive is like, oh, if this doesn't work out in the short term, like I'm gonna go elsewhere. So you've it, it it's like coaches are incentivized to play a little bit of this transactional game. Um sacrificing some of the 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 long-term stuff which is the tough part of this balance yeah and i think though at the end of the day is you will see and continue to see people there are people out there who are sent who think they need to keep up with the joneses and play the transactional game but that's only because the transformational opportunity they offer or, or the value position of the transformational environment they create is really poor. And so when you don't have that kind of quote unquote culture or environment <clears throat> to create, it allows itself just to be super, super transactional. And you're seeing in going back to college coaching, right? <clears throat> you see it as well right now. It's everyone knows that that's the score because then college coaches, right? You have the, the, the college coaching carousel and domino shuffle where it's like, you know, you see one person lose their job, like say at Texas A&M, and then that sets off a chain of events where it's like, okay, this coach went to here. Okay. And then that coach replaced that coach. And then that coach replaced that coach and so on and so forth. Right. And it's solely because the money is good. The money's big, right. Bigger than where they're at. I mean, the number one question I get asked by recruits all the time is like, how long are you going to be at Portland State? They go, I asked for a 20 year contract. You know, they gave me three. Said if I do a good job, I get five. After five, I do a good job. I get 10. And after I do a good job after 10, another 10. So I'm like, great. You know, I, it's about alignment, right? I know where I want to be and I know why I want to be there. And I know what I want to do at a mid-major level, at a public institution in the city of Portland, right? And it's just about that alignment because you can go and chase the shiny object all day. But at the end of the day, right, we are creatures that value connection and community. And when you are don't have that connection community, that stability, you don't feel like, you know, you can go in and be seen and heard and be known because you're, you are transient as a student athlete. I'm going to transfer, I'm going to transfer, I'm going to transfer to the best deal, the best deal, best deal. That also creates a negative mindset, a, a, a very selfish mindset, a very superficial, shallow mindset. And no one wants to be around that type of person, no matter how 
amazing they present themselves and position themselves on social media or amazing or, oh my gosh, you're just so made up and you just, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You want to be in a community that sees you for who you are and supports you for who you are and is there to develop you as a holistically as a person, as well as the thing you're passionate about, which is running. And so we forget this. This is our DNA. This is how we're hardwired. The zillion of years of evolution. So this short-term short-circuiting we're seeing is being sh- shadowed by this actual truth of reality about what we want to do as, or what we are wired to do and how we're wired to feel whole, um, connected, and engaged as a community. So more than error, right, it's a call for stability. It's a call to just like, like hey, hunker down, be here, be consistent. Yeah, maybe right away you can't get the short-term outcome of being hyper-competitive. Like that's not on the table for Portland State for several years until we get stability, good recruiting cycles, the right types of kids, the right types of you know support from alumni and parents. Like that stability engagement takes time. But it's worth investing in because that's really going to give everyone involved in the equation for the long term, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of agency, a sense of transformation, and just a sense of, you know, stability that in this day and age is, is becoming rarer and rarer and rarer. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a, that's a, a, a good point. So maybe let's, let's, let's finish this with giving coaches some practical advice and takeaways on how to be that transformative coach within a transactional environment. And what I'm hearing you say, and I think this is probably point number one, is that values alignment. <laughs> is, is you want to make sure that you are professing and showing that your va- what your values are and acting in alignment with them. And then also having like, and by doing that, showing athletes that like, this is what we care about. This is what matters. Like, yes, there's these other paths. And if you want to take those other paths, like God help you go for it. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't get in that way. Right. But like, this is what we're about here. And I think if you look at across cultures from high school, college, professional, the the teams that do it really well have that, that, that clear understanding of what their values are. You know, it's the, the NAU, like we don't talk about the winning outcome, right? That's, that's secondary. That's gonna happen or not. If we execute our process and enjoy what we're doing, et cetera, et cetera. That's one of their values that they, they stand for. And I think that's, that's great. And you see Mike Smith do a great job of, um, of demonstrating that. But I think, I think often coaches hear that and they're like, but, but like to get there, like, I need this athlete. I need this runner. I need to focus on this outcome. And often it's that short-term versus long-term deal where this might help you in the short term, but over the long haul, that values alignment and having your culture stand for something is going to matter much more. And, you know, the other thing I'd add to that is anytime you make a decision about what you're going to do in life and what you can do in life and the calculus is, can this decision I make or this position I hold change or alter the people's worlds um, in a positive way, assuming that positive intent. When you alter someone's world or change their world for the better, you'll be surprised at 
and you do it consistently over and over and over again, and that's your guiding impulse, you'll be very surprised at the gratitude that that community or that team that support that person will have for you. And so it's kind of, everyone talks about, oh yeah, power five, scholarship, money, the the kids aren't there, the kids aren't, no, the kids are always there. They're just not ready made. It's just not instant offense, right? So it's not turnkey. And nor can you expect that in track and field and cross country in this day and age. We need to be able to create a longer pathway of development and time horizon by finding, you know, student athletes that are right for your situation. And what might be right at, say, a, you know, Tennessee or Notre Dame or U of O might not be right for an NAI, a mid-major D3 type school, because that might not be the best type of student athlete that is served in this climate. So you can go chase that person all you want, but at the end of the day, it's just understanding the profile that your university fits because that's the job of universities and education, right? Is to elevate and create in the next generation and give them the tools so that they can go in the community with their education and serve that community well and be a positive force for um, change, positive force for impact, a positive force in relation to others. So when we think about it and we step back, like that's a big part of alignment. It's a big part of the calculus, right? That's a big part of my calculus of being at Portland State is saying, yeah, there's a certain athlete population, student athlete population that I can use this uh, role to service and impact for the better. And so we want to focus in on them. We want to make change with them. And if someone else, if this type of person, this type of person who, you know, we not initially is our target athlete population, student athlete population shows up and wants to come do it here. Fantastic. Of course. Yeah, we'll take you. Sure. Okay, great. As long as you know what the deal is here versus misalignment of expectations or outside proportionate expectations for the environment is going to cause strife, strain and friction. So step back and go, hey, this is what it is. Do you want to do it like this? yes or no, like, and just be totally clear and transparent up front because we have to remember clarity or being clear is kind. And when you're, you are clear about what it is and also what it isn't that you're doing, that creates a kindness. So then people can say, Hey coach, this is totally up for me or Hey coach, it's not for me. And that's okay. Rejection objections are okay. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's hard to get over for, uh, uh, a new coach right? Is you want to win all the battles. <laughs> you you want to get all the recruits. And sometimes there's a reg- recognition of like, this isn't for you. And actually I was talking to a, a coaching friend who, who spent a long time working with a legend in the sport and in, uh, in coaching. And uh, I love the story where he essentially tells, he told me is like, yeah, like when the coach, when the coach knows that you know, this university that we work at isn't a good fit. He'll go tell the kid like, Hey, this might not be a good fit for you, but X, Y, and Z probably, probably will. And if you need contacts at X, Y, and Z, like I'll help you, like I'll, I'll put in a word for you with recruits. And I, and I loved hearing that story. And I don't think it's a coincidence that again, this program is highly successful because again, it's knowing what, what you're offering and what values, you know, you stand for. And that doesn't mean like that a kid or athlete is bad necessarily for not sharing those in these moments. Like maybe he'll change and align with those at some point, but like 
they've got to go somewhere that aligns with what their their goals and values are in this moment, you know? Yeah, it's just like, you know, you, you serve pizza, your pizzeria, someone walks in and says, I want sushi. You go, hey, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad you want sushi, but we don't serve sushi here. We serve pizza. I know a great sushi spot. Go there. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing. You have to understand, are you a pizzeria? Are you a sushi place? Are you a Tex-Mex? Like, understand what you are. Because, you know, you see that with a lot of chains who try to be everything and introduce weird foods that are, like, not aligned with, like, what their quote-unquote brand is, right? And then that creates confusion about, okay, what are you really serving here? But so, you know, double down on your niche or the niche type of um, profile of the uh, athlete population you work with and be okay with that. Be okay with, like, you know, not getting the headlines. Be okay with not, like, getting the propagating like you know the big time narratives in the media landscape you know al Carius right at north central college built a program around the concept of running for fun and personal bests and this idea of progress and that's really what young people want is to see progress that's why we invest so much stock in um, marks and prs that's why, like, distance runners have had so much stock in um, weekly mileage because there are hard numerical um, feedback mechanisms that am I getting better? Am I progressing? And that's really what the scholastic environment's about, right? Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. There's a pro- progression of classes you need to take, a progression of, you know, classes you need to pass. And at the end of four years or what have you, you then get this degree the certificate that says hey yeah you progressed to a space where now we have tested you we have educated you we have exposed you to knowledge and information and you now have a core um, foundation of education to go in the world and navigate the really tricky landscape called adulthood that's you know and that's where like i think a lot of us too as adults right when we get out of that educational environment and, you know, a lot of us are products of that or coaches, it's tough to figure out, okay, what are the next steps of progress? You have these social cues of, you know, white picket fence, house, get married, children, blah, 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 car, what have you. But is it really progress? And that's where I think we need to come back and understand what we have as coaches an opportunity to create the um, constructs of progress or self-improvement or betterment for a person, an individual, and a team collectively, provided we set up the architecture correctly and we keep referring to that and demonstrating, hey, you are improving. It's not going to be linear. It's not going to be an easy straight line, but it will be forward. And that's the difference I need. I think we always need to talk about with student-athletes. Progress isn't linear. Progress is about moving forward. And sometimes moving forward in the short term looks like taking a couple steps back, but use those steps back as a launching pad to propel you forward, right? Minor setback, major comeback. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I think, again, that goes along. It's not only values, alignments, it's expectations. It's setting the expectations on on what is going to occur and, and how long it's going to take to get there. And I think so much of um, our problems are from misalignment of these things. It's uh, Again, you have to understand and recognize that most people are going to want the short term, the quick fix, the I want to perform now. But if you consistently set that standard of like, hey, this is how we do it. We're not going to jump, you know, as a freshman and do 70 miles a week because he gets you really fast. We're get, we have a progression. 
this is how it's going to work. This doesn't guarantee, you know, progress linearly, but you're going to have setbacks. This is why it's important. The coaches who set that, that expectation and standard, like a, it, it deals with a lot of quote unquote problems of their long haul, but it gives that clarity. And from what I've seen athletes, like when you give them clarity, they can withstand the, the, the downturns, the hard parts much better than if it's you promise them X, Y, and Z. And then that, that easy linear progress of, I was promised that this training program would get me better, that I would improve, that I would become state champion, that I would run X time and it didn't occur. That's where problems arise. And the final thing like I'll say on this too is we as coaches, I think when we talk about clarity and clarity is power, need to bring into our conversation consistently and our uh, messaging consistently with athletes is about ownership and partnership. And those are two different things. Ownership, right, is the athlete owns the result. They own the outcome. And in a superficial day and age, it's easy to, um, you know, uh, pacify that ownership or not have it say, no, it's the coach's job to make me run fast. And it's like, well, actually it's a partnership where we provide guidance in the <clears throat> preparation of the physical and sometimes the mental and emotional, but also too, it's then the partnership. So we provide the preparation outline, but then you choose the cultivation of that. And what we mean by that is all the stuff we always talk about, right? That's pretty trite and superficial, or I shouldn't say superficial, generic. Sleep. Are you going to bed before 11 o'clock every day? Yes, no. Things that impact sleep. Are you consuming alcohol or caffeine within six to seven hours before you go to bed? Yes or no. Are you looking at your um, smartphone or computer 90 minutes before you go to bed? Yes or no. Are you getting breakfast in the morning that is has a you know mixture of protein, carbohydrates, macronutrients, fiber, etc.? Yes or no. <clears throat> Are you hydrating consistently every day throughout the day at regular time intervals? Because muscle tissue requires a lot of hydration, and athletes tend to have a lot of muscle tissue. Yes or no. So we as coaches helped and created this preparation plan of the physical. But did you as the athlete then take the next steps of ownership to cultivate that? And what you'll find, right, is the reality is it's going to be a lot of no's when that underperformance happens, right? When that, those, those outsized or sensational results do not transpire. And that's where us as coaches need to educate athletes. Like it is a partnership, yes, but you ultimately have to own your outcome. You have to own your performance. It is 100% on you when the gun goes off or when you go down the runway or throw the implement where it lands, where you finish. Those are choices you're making. We will provide you guidance and we provide scaffolding and we provide opportunities to recalibrate and reframe what the feedback is or what how to process the outcome when it's not successful, quote unquote, or not a top mark or a, a victory. But do not pacify the necessity for their ownership in this equation. And I think that's where a lot of the, the entitlement issues that people might be seeing and a lot of the lack of accountability, you know, I mean, we're, it's all saying the same thing. 
are stemming from is the fundamental lack of the dialogue of saying, this is what you own in the process as an athlete. And this is how I as a coach or us as coaches help to create that guidance towards that. And when we understand that dialogue between ownership and partnership, it can create a um, situation where, again, there's a lot more clarity about who needs to deliver what versus if you don't say this, the expectation, right, is that we live in a consumer-based culture. And so athletes see training as consumption. Oh, if I just take this pill or do this, or if I just put in these miles and I just do that, it automatically is this turnkey where immediately I get XYZ seconds faster, right? That's why people are always looking at training, go, what they do, what they do. Oh, I'm going to do double threshold. And I do double threshold. Man, watch, watch the results, shorts, you know, soar. And it's, we're seeing that's not happening, right? Because those ownership things, those cultivation things are not delivered on a daily basis by these athletes. So yeah, you're doing the work, but don't mistake motion for action. Don't mistake activity for achievement. Where's the cultivation? And I think that conversation needs to be a conversation that is had more regularly in this day and age. Love it. I think you're, you're spot on in the sense that ownership is so important. And again, for the clarity's sake, we've got to have those difficult conversations. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that's, uh, that's what it means. Like in this world, it doesn't mean we have to give in to the transactional nature and just go along with that. There's still a path forward. We've just got to give the clarity on expectations, values, what we stand for and what we're trying to do and get the people on on board who uh, align with that and um, who we can get to share those things. And if we do that, good stuff's going to happen. Yeah, it's not easy, nor will it ever get easier. And I don't think any you know, job or form of employment is easy. Easy doesn't exist. You have to kill the kill concept of easy. It's Everything's hard in life. I mean... Steve has a book, right? Do hard things. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, that is life. It's hard. And doing hard things is really important in this day and age now more than ever to cultivate that skill, but also that um, desire and that uh, participation and in vol- basically volunteering your time, effort, and energy to doing something hard. It's just a matter of what's the hard thing you things you want to do in life and then it never it becomes work right but it becomes um, satisfying it becomes rewarding intrinsically because you said yeah i want to sign up for this hard thing versus this idea of oh i'm signing up for easy things and then it gets hard and then it becomes burnout and you have to know it's all about trade-offs right there's no easy jobs in the world there's no easy places in the world there's it doesn't exist don't feed into the narrative and the propagation, the posturing and positioning you're seeing. It's all, it's hard in different ways for everyone, no matter where it's at, but it's just like, is this the brand of hard you want to do? And when you have that clarity as a coach, as a professional, as what have you, and you're at peace with that, then, you know, you can put up with the days that kind of suck because there's always going to be days that kind of suck on the job, but you can also then really uh, savor and celebrate the days that, are awesome and the small little like moments are awesome uh, a, a lot better and then that creates a bigger you know just reward for what you're doing there you go i think you heard it so hopefully you uh, took away some good insight on on how modern coaching is shifting and how you can navigate those waters we thank you for listening and uh, being a part of what we do 
on this podcast and everything we do in the scholar program. So thank you coaches. And uh, yeah, if you haven't signed up for scholar program, now is the time. Best time to do it was tomorrow. Second best time to do it today.